We're going to be in Psalm, Psalm 1 today. I know we've spent the last three weeks in Psalm 1 and 2. This is the final week in Psalms. Uh, so the last few weeks, we've been talking about how are we to be a gospel-rooted church. And we've talked about the practicals of what does it mean to be gospel-rooted. Uh, we did kind of an overview sermon where we looked at, we, we, we root into the gospel by meditating on the word, by, by believing in the Messiah. And then we took the last two weeks and dove into those a little bit more in detail. So how, how do we root into the gospel? Well, we, we meditate on it. We slow down. We get out of, uh, out of the chaos of life. And we just start to know the story of the gospel. We we settle on it and memorize it and think about it. Now, last week we talked about how we root into this gospel by apprenticing the Messiah in Psalm chapter 2, that we, we want to follow him and live with him and become like him and, and do the things that Jesus did uh, because he offered himself for us and offered to redeem us and set us free from, from all of this. And so what this does is it brings us to kind of a, a pivot point, a fork in the road, a question of will we root into the gospel or will we choose something else? We're faced with a decision, and so welcome to the decision-making process. I've been thinking about this this week. How, how do we go about making decisions? And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about really what we're asking whenever we're talking about making a decision or considering something. We're asking the question, what's at stake? We weigh the cost, the opportunities, so, so what's at stake in something, and that will determine whether or not we, we make that decision. So let me see if I can make this a little bit more, more practical here. Um, t- take a decision, and then we'll continually raise the stakes in it and see if it changes the decision-making process. Uh, I can talk about him because he's, oh, no, he's not in the nursery. He's right over there. Sorry, David, I get to talk about you today. I, was, I, was, I think he's in the nursery, and he's right there. Uh, so Pastor David and I, uh, we tend to agree on almost everything. We're very aligned theologically, missionally. We, we, we get along well. There is one big disconnect that David and I have. We disagree on this very often. We argue about it pretty regularly, and that is whether or not uh, my time donuts or daylight donuts is better. We argue this consistently, consistently. Whether my time donuts or daylight donuts is better. David's a traditionalist. He believes in the old-fashioned style of it's always been in this town, it's good. Daylight's donut is the way to go. I'm the new age. My time's new. We needed new because we needed to overcome the tradition. Like, we're going to go with my time. And we'll argue about this, right? So, so I just want to see. I want to set it, set it straight once and for all. Um, first and foremost, I'll just go ahead and get this out of the way. How many of you do not care? All right. I got the majority of you out of the way. Perfect. This is not for you then. Okay. How many of you are My Time Donut people? Like the new, across from Cattle Baron, there's like six of us. Okay. Hold, hold tight with me, brothers and sisters. My Time Donuts. How many of you are traditionalists? How many of you are the Daylight Donuts? Oh, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Let's, let's raise the stakes then. Let's raise the stakes a little bit. Uh, let's just do some hypothetical stuff, you daylight donut-loving church you. <laughs> By the way, I, thought, I had a thought a while back, like, what would it be like to go to businesses in town and be like, hey, if you'll make donations to First Baptist, I'll, you know, work your business into my sermons, and it'll be, <laughs> is that a business strategy? I, I have no idea. Um, okay, so let's say, let's say you wake up just the crack of dawn, you get up, and you get to daylight donuts, because that's, you're just daylight donuts person, and you go in and you realize that those donuts that they're serving, they've kind of been setting out in that little display for about three or four days. And my time donuts is where the fresh donuts are. Anybody changing their mind? Any, any, if, that's, if that's hypothetically true, will anybody change their mind? 
Why? Because the stakes change a little bit, right? Because now all of a sudden it's not just a matter of my taste buds in my pocket and I can make my, my own decision, but there's something at play about I don't really want to pay for a stale donut. The, the stakes are a little bit more. Uh, let's raise them just a little bit higher than that. Let's say, I'm just going to pick, pick, pick it on daylight because I can and I'm outnumbered, so I'll do what I want. Um, so, so you go into daylight donuts and on your way in, someone comes out and they're just like green in the face and they're like, oh, that donut I just had made me sick. Would you leave and go to my time? Would you change it at that point? Would you change your mind? Right? Because the stakes change a little bit more. All of a sudden, I like this donut better, but if my health is on the line, I think I might change it a little bit right here. All right, we'll, we'll use both of them this time, my time, daylight donuts. Let's say, let's say your mother-in-law invites you over for brunch one, one Saturday morning, and you pass by both daylight and my time on the way to her house. And you could stop in at either of those places and get a dozen donuts and bring it into her brunch that she has slaved over and worked over and made food for you. Are any of you going to stop and pick up donuts on the way to that lunch? Jaron is brave. Jaron is not married. That is what Jaron is. Um, No, you know better than that, right? Because if your mother-in-law has worked to cook you brunch and you show up with a bunch of donuts, what's at stake? There's a lot at stake. In, in that situation, right? As go the stakes, so goes the decision. Whatever is at stake. And, and welcome to how we process decision making. If we're going to be good decision makers, then that means we take a moment to think, think about the stakes. And so I would imagine that every poor decision you've made probably had something to do with not understanding or weighing out the consequences, right? You get a speeding ticket. I didn't really weigh the stakes. I didn't realize, and there was a cop there. Should have thought about it a little, a little bit more. Or uh, arguments with your spouse, if that comes in there. Shouldn't have said that. Should have, should have weighed the stakes a little bit. That was not the place for me to say that phrase. So um, pretty much for, for us guys, us men, anytime you tell your friends how much you want to bet, I can fill in the blank of how much you want to bet. I can throw this golf ball and do a backflip and catch it. I don't know. Like those are just bad decisions. You're not weighing the stakes with, with all of that. But seriously, in, in every decision we face, the, the, the times we end up on the wrong side are usually times where we're either ignored or we've ignored whatever's at stake or we're ignorant to what's at stake. And welcome to Psalm chapter 1 because what Psalms 1 is doing is it's presenting a decision to be made and it's very clearly telling us, hey, here's what's at stake. Let me jump in. Psalm chapter 1. I'm just going to go through the chapter. How happy is the one that does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So, so the psalmist is coming in and he's saying, hey, you've been presented with a decision. And he gives two images, right? You can, you can be like a tree rooted in waters, or you can be like chaff. You, you can be righteous, or you can be wicked. The, the, the thing that he's laying out is either we root in, or if you go to the final verse, right, verse 6, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So I know it's cheesy, but, but bear with me. Here's the idea, I think, that someone is getting at. We either root in or we ruin, right? I think that's what someone is getting at. If you think that's cheesy, uh, help me out here, Kelsey. I have a couple slides that, that I need your help with this. So go to the next one. Uh, if you think that's cheesy, 
Here you go. You ready? So either we root in or we ruin. I'm just going to double down on this for a little bit, and then we'll, we'll move on. Do you know what the difference is? It's, it's the cross, right? Because then if you take the cross away, here you go. You can do it one more, Kelsey. It just becomes ruin, right? See? Ruin or ruin. Get it? Uh, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. Hey, you won't forget that, though. That's, that's free. You don't have to pay for that one. And I'm being, I'm being silly. I'm being facetious in a lot of ways. You can take that away, Kelsey. We don't, we don't need that anymore. But the question is, right, what's at stake, church? Like, either we root into this gospel or we don't. And if we choose not to, what are we setting ourselves up to lose? What, what are we risking? What's at stake for not rooting into this gospel? And if you go just and break down verse 3, he's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. I think we get three key ideas, Right? It's this idea that he's like a tree planted beside flowing trees. So, so there's, there's life. So something to do with, with life. And he bears fruit in its season. So something to do with, with fruitfulness. Uh, and whose leaf does not wither. It's something to do with permanence. So life and fruitful and permanent. So here, here's the way I'm going to say it. I'm just going to give you all your notes right here. You can write them down if you're a note taker. And then we'll go in and, and break this down. What's at stake on whether or not we root into this gospel. Well, what's at stake is a life of fruitful permanence. If we choose to root into the gospel, we're promised that we can have this life of fruitful permanence. And if we choose to not root into this gospel, we forfeit a life of fruitful permanence. So one more slide for me, Kelsey. We'll be good with with that one for now. A life of fruitful permanence. Do you want to truly live life? Do you want to truly live a life that is bearing fruit? Do you want to truly make a lasting impact on, on this world? The only way to do that, the only way that that's possible is being this tree planted by this river to, to root yourself in the life-giving stream. So he gives us this picture of a tree next to a stream and chaff, a plant that's just nowhere near water and it's just made to be blown about, right? So I know we, we live in Portales. There's not often that we go walk streams and look at trees around here. So I thought I'd at least give you a little bit of a visual on what this looks like. So, so yeah, which, which tree do you want to be? This is what the psalmist is asking. Do we want to be the tree rooted by the water, or do we want to be the tree in the desert? And obviously, I think the answer we're assuming is, man, we want to be the life tree. We, we want to be the one that's living and is bearing fruit and is doing and making impact but, but the idea, the, the, the variable is where are you located? Where are you rooted in? And this is what we're going to break down and talk about into detail this, this morning. Let me just say, because when we say it this way, right, either we root in or we ruin. Either we become a church where we root into the gospel and we have lives of fruitful permanence or, or we just waste all this away. That can sound kind of extreme, and I get that. It does sound a little over the top, maybe. And I'm not just trying to intimidate you or bully you into this point. But I think that's what Psalm 1 paints for us. We either root in or we ruin. There is no middle ground. There is no, I'll show up to church sometimes and I'll, I'll get enough sustenance here and there to make, make life work. And then I'll go and worry about it on my own. It's we either root in or we ruin. And a life of fruitful permanence is at stake. You can take the pictures of the tree down, Kelsey, and we'll just talk about these three things now. So, what, what's at stake? Life. 
the life of us, the life of individuals, the life of First Baptist is at stake, contingent upon this decision, will we root in or won't we root in? And I already need to make some caveats to this because sometimes people read this, uh, he's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does is prospers. And I kind of like have to put on a little bit of a country accent and have like really shiny white teeth and say something along the lines of, see, if you just have enough faith, God wants to make your life green and luscious. And like, that's all there is to it. And that misunderstands what's happening in Psalm chapter 1. But because when we read Psalm chapter 1 with, within the context, right, it's, it's compiled, Psalms is compiled during exile. The, the, the people that put these Psalms together and make this unified book out of it intentionally put this Psalm first so that a people who, who are literally been uprooted from the things they know and taken to a foreign land of evil leadership and placed it in slavery and yokes and all these things that they're told they have to do. And what the psalm says is if you root into this, you become a luscious green tree and you never have any problems, right? No. It's saying that there's something more than the difficulties of life. There's something that's, that's telling us if we root into this, that even when the times come of out of season, even when we feel like the storms blow through, we can still be rooted no matter what the situation says. Psalm 1 is not the promise of an absence of suffering, nor is that ever a promise that Scripture makes uh, in this broken world. It's a picture of a thriving tree, and it leads us to ask, where is true life found? And the only answer is rooted in the reality of the love of and word of the living God, whose very first action you remember a couple weeks ago in Genesis 1, is to quite literally bring life to, do you remember the Hebrew words we used that Sunday? Tovu vavohu, it rhymes. Formless and void to a lifeless situation. God's first action is to bring life to the lifeless. So it's saying, where, where do you want to root yourself? To the one that brings life or the things that are going to take away from life? This is the picture that Psalm 1 asks. And so the question is, do, do you want First Baptist to be a church of, of life. Because either we root in or we ruin. Like, the life of First Baptist Church is at stake. And I'm not saying we sound the alarm and start calling out May Day, but how many generations does it take for a church to fall? It takes one. We either root into this and we go and we show the world, that, that there is life and there's goodness in the gospel and, and we're rooted into it and you can come root in with us where we sacrifice that, and it's only a matter of time until we dwindle and dwindle and dwindle and dwindle, and because life is at stake. We have to root into this gospel. And we can try to root ourselves into the next big thing, and we can try to root ourselves into if we just had a bigger building or budget or a better facility, if we just had the new next big outreach model, that it would work. And right here, I think God just lays it out, and he says, no, 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 no. You can either root into me, or you can ruin. Those are your options. There is no strategy outside of those two options. Root into this or fall into ruin. So life is at stake. And fruit is at stake. A life of fruitful permanence. So that this tree, that this rooted person is like a tree that's planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Some verses will, versions will say in season or out of season. And this is a theme that I'm sure if you've been a reader of the Bible for some time, you've picked up on, because it's a particular theme all across the New Testament, because so often we find all of these reference to 
fruit and fruitfulness and bearing fruit and all this other stuff. So John 15, Jesus is going to say, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you are in me, you will bear, bear fruit. Yeah, and Paul's going to take that and he's going to build it over here in Galatians 5. And he's going to talk about if you are filled with the Spirit and live according to the Spirit, you are going to bear the fruits of the Spirit. So, so what's at stake? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Either we root in and we experience those or we ruin. It's either one or the other. So the question then is, do you want First Baptist to, to grow and produce love, joy, and peace? Do you want to be someone who consistently demonstrates and gives patience and kindness and goodness? Well, then it demands you root in. It demands you root in into this and again we can do everything we can to, to cast vision we can strategize and we can missionalize and we can develop goals and the, the, these goals are great and they're, they're keeping us on track i hope but we can do all of this and fall into ruin because we did it without rooting into the gospel it demands we root in we either root in or we ruin and, and what's at stake it's the fruit that we bear, the life that we live, and there's permanence at, at stake. So he ends it up whose leaf does not wither. It's, it's a tree that lasts in season and out of season. It continually has the resources to live and to give life. As I've gotten older and, and continue to think about things, I've started to notice that life tends to have this kind of ebb and flow to it. Uh, there are days that you wake up, I don't know about you, but there are days that I wake up and I'm like, man, I'm ready to read my Bible. I'm ready to just jump into God's arms. It's going to be a good day. And then there's some days it's like, I don't, I don't even want to talk about any of this stuff. I just want to get my work done. I want to go home. I want to watch TV and go to bed. I don't want to think about it. There's just this ebb and flow of life and the way my mind functions and the way I live within this. And I think that that's just kind of a part of life. There's, uh, I've realized too, there's like ebbs and flows in mine and in Haley's marriage. Like there are days and weeks and months that we're just like, man, we are connected right now. We're thinking the same thing. We're walking the same steps. Things are good. And then every so often there's, and it's not even like there's conflict or arguments, but we just get to a point that it's like, when's the last time we actually had a conversation outside of how was your day? Like we live in the same house together and we, there's just this ebb and flow. So what do I root my marriage into when there's ebbs and flows that I experience? It's that there is a consistent reality to the vows that Haley and I made that said, till death do us part. So even in the ebbs or in the flows, I'm not sure which is good and which is bad. I don't, I don't know what that works. Um, but I know the consistency is that relationship. So even when there's disconnects and even when we, we are like, when's the last time we had a deep conversation outside of how's your day? I know that nothing is at risk in that relationship because we are still here bounded together. This is what it's like being this tree. It's not saying that everything's good and you never have problems. It's saying that even when those problems occur, you know the lasting truth of God is available to you. It means the source of life will be present and lasting even when it feels as though we're living out of season. So do you want to make permanent impact that's indifferent to ebbs and flows of life? Do you want the ministry of First Baptist to create eternal impact in the life of Portalis? And it doesn't matter who's president. And it doesn't matter how the news looks at life. And it doesn't matter if we do or do not meet budget. What happens if we root into those things? Ruin. Every time. 
And they can be good and great things and still lead to ruin because they're not the gospel. We have to root in to the gospel. We either root in or ruin. And welcome to the invitation of Psalm chapter 1. In a weird way, maybe I could invite this invitation to something along the lines of, hey, would you like to come live as a tree? We don't, we don't necessarily think about it that way. But I think there's something biblical there. We talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning. That there's something there that someone is, is connecting us to. There, there's this theme when you read through the Bible uh, of a tree and, and that tree being God's reminder of his provision and his love to mankind. And I think Psalm 1 is calling us to be that provision, that love, that reminder to those around us. So I, last week, I took a few minutes and we uh, kind of, I called it nerding out. We nerded out over the Hebrew word Meshiach and talked about patterns of the Messiah. Uh, give me five minutes. I want to do it one more time. Uh, I want to nerd out over the Hebrew word eights. So eights is, is the Hebrew word for tree, right? But, but tree, it, it doesn't just mean tree. Uh, it can actually be translated wood from time to time. So if you take a tree, chop it down, take the wood from it. We have two different English words, uh, but we still call it the woods, you know. But, but in Hebrew, it's, it's just eights. Uh, the vine, uh, vines are called eights. Uh, sometimes bushes can be referred to as eights. They're, they're just, you know, bushes are just little trees, right? So, so eights is at play. So, so start off with me. Start in Genesis 1. We do what we did last week, and we're just going to kind of take a little quick detour, museum trip through, through the Bible. Genesis 1, day 3, what does God create? Eights, right? And, and they're made with fruit and seeds, and they're made to reproduce. And then the parallel of day 3 is day 6. And day 6 gets this extra bonus creation like the trees of day 3. And what's the bonus creation of day 6? Humanity. And what is God going to tell Adam and Eve in this humanity? Be fruitful and multiply. Do you see? Be, be like the trees. We're, we're tying you into this. Then you get to Genesis 2, and there's two substantial characters. Uh, we don't necessarily consider them characters, but there's two substantial roles to be played in Genesis 2. There's Adam, Eve, and God. And then what are the other two roles? There's two trees. The tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve uh, go and they take of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They take defining good into their own terms, their own hands. They defy God, and they're banished from this, this hilltop garden where there's a tree, and, and mankind plunges into devastation and ruin, right? Because they're not rooted in, they, they fall into ruin. It comes to the point that God is ready to destroy the entire earth. It's ruined. They've destroyed everything good I've created, but he saves the earth through one particular family, his name is Noah. And what does he tell Noah to do? He tells him to build an ark made out of gopher eights, is the Hebrew word, to make out of gopher wood, gopher eights. So the flood comes, humanity gets destroyed, but God spares humanity through Noah and the boat and Noah's family. And the, the floods subside, and where does the boat stand? On a hilltop, on a mountain, you have God saving man. And there's wood and tree there for some particular reason. And then you can even carry that one a little bit further because Noah sends out the dove. And the dove brings back an olive branch, right? So we, we see again, branch, eights, tree, it's there, right? Okay, march forward a little bit more. We get to the story of Isaac and, uh, um, sorry, of Abraham and Isaac. God says, I'm going to fulfill this promise to you through this son Isaac. Oh, by the way, I, I need that son back. I need you to give him to me. So they start their journey up a mountain. And what does Abraham give Isaac to carry? Eights. 
We're going to carry eights up this mountain. And there God provides a sacrifice instead of Isaac. He saves Isaac's life by providing another thing to die upon the tree, the eights. Are you starting to see a theme pick up here? Let's fast forward a little bit more. Get a guy, his name is Moses. He's out in the wilderness and the rest of the Israelites are enslaved to Egypt. And he's up on a mountaintop and all of a sudden what does he encounter? A burning bush. A little eights. Little, little tiny one, right? And what's the whole story going to be about? Hey, Moses, I want to save humanity. I want to save Israel through you. I want you to go rescue them out of slavery and bondage to the Egyptians. It's a story of salvation. And then you can march forward from, from there, and we could go on and on. You could talk about the temple, and the temple is built out of cedar, eights, wood, right? And in the temple, there's all these demonstrations and pictures of trees and it's God saving and showing his love for humanity and encounter, encountering and, and redeeming. It's this constant promise that God wants to restore humanity so that humanity may themselves experience what it means to be a life-giving, fruitful, permanent being, an eternal being, because God instilled that into us. And all those other stories that we've talked about of God and man and trees the end is result is always the same. God offers salvation. Man gets saved, and then they turn around and go down the mountain, and what does mankind do? We ruin it again. We get up, God, thanks for the salvation. Man, you're awesome. And we go right back down the mountain, and we ruin it ourselves over and over and over. So God does something unforgettable. He comes himself, and he carries something up a mountain. We call it Calvary or Golgotha. And sometimes we refer to it as a cross. But there are multiple times the Bible refers to it as a tree. And God comes to the top of this mountain wrapped in flesh. And once and for all, he says, no, I will save humanity. Not just from, from bondage and slavery to another nation, but I will save them from the true thing they are enslaved to, and that's sin and death. And he gives up his own life on that cross. Why? So that we might be grafted into the tree. That we might be offered salvation and forgiveness. So that we might be forgiven and come, become like him, living a life of fruitful permanence. And, and here's the amazing thing. If you have your Bibles, go, go to the very last chapter in, in Revelation 22. We started at the very beginning in Genesis, talked about trees. I told my Sunday school class this morning, I hope you guys don't think I'm like hippie Pastor Philip, like, let's go hug trees. That's, I, I just want you to pick up on some patterns here. But Revelation 22, last chapter of the Bible, we've talked about how it opens, let's talk about how it closes. As the Bible closes, John gets a glimpse into this, this perfect future that God is, is painting for those that would trust in Christ, those that would put their faith in this man that died upon the tree for their salvation. And he says this in verse 1, Then he showed me, God showed me, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And down the middle of the city's main street, what's there? The tree of life was on each side of the flowing river, bearing 12 kinds of fruits, producing its fruit in every month, every season. And the leaves of the tree are for healing the nations. Guys, the invitation of Psalm 1, the invitation of Scripture is not to really cross our fingers and hope we find life some way. 
It's not to say, I really hope I can root into the right thing today because I tried it last week and I was wrong then. It's to look forward of the coming day that God has promised with faith and hope and then live now as if we are that tree. That we become the tree of life to Portalis. We become the tree that bears fruit and, and offers healing to the hurting, that offers home to the homeless, that offers help to the, to the hurt. All of that. That we would become like that tree. This is a theme that even Proverbs picks up on. Proverbs 11.30 will just straight up say, the fruit of a righteous person is a tree of life. That God wants to now use us as the trees of life in this world. But where do we root in? It must be in this gospel. You want to be a life-filled person? You want to bear fruit that's going to bring life to others? Do you want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Do you want to live a life of permanent impact? Then root in. Then root in. Meditate on the word, apprentice the Messiah, follow what he's called us to do. And, and if you don't, just know what's at stake. It's ruin. If we do not root in, we will ruin. And, and what about First Baptist? Do you want First Baptist to be a life-filled church? Do you want us to bear fruit that brings life, that impacts Portalis? Do, do you want us to make that eternal impact? Then the question is, will we root in? Or will we ruin? But I challenge you to, to meditate on it. Delight in it. To know the story. To join in as the branches to, to the vine. To the one true tree of life that's invited us to be grafted on to him by giving our lives to him in faith. By giving ourselves to him that died in our place. Because ultimately, th this, is, this is what we're remembering with Lord's Supper today. That we get to root into this because our Savior died for us. That the blood that was spilled, the body that was pierced and beaten that night 2,000 years ago was the most incredible display of love that the world has ever seen. And then it goes deeper. Because it wasn't just a display of love. It was a sacrifice to redeem humanity. That whoever would put their faith in Jesus could actually be rooted in to this premise. See, here, here's the thing that I've noticed. There, there's not a lot of trees out there that are like tree realtors that are offering, you know, locations on waterfront property to other trees. Like, hey, come on, move, move over here with us. To be by the stream, it's great. Because uh, how often do trees go and pick their locations? We don't really do that. What we need is not to go pick our location. What we need is a Savior to pick us up and plant us in. This is what we celebrate. And so I'm just going to invite you. We're going to do a quick little time of invitation before we observe Lord's Supper together. And maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I need to root into this. This is something that I've kind of been like chaff. I'm not, I just need, I need to dedicate and root in and promise. And if you've done that, then just say, Jesus, thanks for giving me this opportunity. And celebrate it in that. And then we'll do it together in, in the unity of, of Lord's Supper. And if you've never done it, Right now, this morning, you can come talk to me. I'll be right here. I'd love to pray with you about it. Father God, help us to be a church that roots in. God, help us to be a church that roots in in a way that brings a life of fruitful permanence to this town. That we continually see impacts made. We see, continually see lives changed. We continually see your goodness poured out. 
God, help us to know that and see that clearly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.